0: Alrighty, well, good morning, everyone. We are continuing in our series going through the Old Testament book of Nehemiah, and it's called Return to God because we drift away from God, and God's people throughout the generations have to be called back to Him. And that's what we're looking at in uh, the story of Nehemiah, the events of Nehemiah, is God's people returning to Him. So, quick recap if you're not familiar with it, if you've not been with us journeying, real quick recap. Uh, God's people in the Old Testament, you know, God had saved them from Egyptian slavery called them into their own land to build a just and righteous kingdom. But they failed, and uh, they started worshiping false gods and started doing great evil in the world. And God intervened in a radical way and actually sent foreign nations to conquer them and to drag them into exile. And they were in exile for 70 years in Babylon. And then people begin to return. And one of the people who returns is Nehemiah. He is the cupbearer of King Artaxerxes, and he secures resource to re-fortified Jerusalem, it's still in disrepair, but also recently been attacked and parts of the walls and bro- been broken down and the gates have been destroyed. And so Nehemiah comes back to, to restore all of that. And the question you might ask is why does this matter? Why is this important? Why do we read the Bible? I would argue that the Bible is the most important book uh, in human history, it's obviously a collection of books. But the reason, the reason we read it is because it's a story history it's a sequence of events of god working in amongst the human race to bring about salvation to save us from evil and for god to glorify himself and to restore what had been lost at the very beginning and so that's what we're doing with Nehemiah as well we're looking at this epic story of salvation and we see that in the events of Nehemiah in the restoration of Jerusalem we see the coming of jesus we see the savior of the world the preparation of the savior of the world coming ahead of time. This is being prefigured through the, the the story of Nehemiah. So we're going to be in chapter 8 today, verses 1 through 12, and we're carrying right along from last week, and um, we've already seen in the last several weeks that they had re-fortified the city. So they've restored the gates, they've rebuilt the walls, they're now, no one's, there's no thing, such thing as 100% safety, right? It's 90%, we say, it's 90% safety, and, and, uh. So, so they're much safer than what they were. And now they're, they're transitioning from securing their, their national security from their enemies. They're surrounded by enemies who hate them, who want to kill them. And Nehemiah had provided some protection for them, 90% protection. But then they're now transitioning into some of the most important things of regaining their own identity as God's people. And today we're going to look at one of the most important, one of the greatest things that they need to move into to truly embody and to truly receive the identity of what it means to belong to God and to be part of God's people. Carrying along right from, from last week, last week we looked at the, the call to the city, the Nehemiah call of valuing the city. And if you missed that sermon, that, I feel like that sermon was a, a real, um, a really important sermon in, in, in this series to really understand God's heart for Jerusalem and therefore God's heart for our city today and how God values the city and the call to move into the city and to remain in the city and to uh, build up the city for the redemptive purposes of God. So uh, let's pray and then let's jump into chapter 8. Jesus, thank you for your word. We pray you would again illuminate it to us today, teach us through your word, transform us through your word that uh, we would be different, that we would leave this place energized, envisioned, encouraged, built up transformed. God, do a mighty work in us. And Lord, if there's anyone here today that doesn't know you, I pray, bring them into your family. God, bring them into your family. God, add them to your kingdom. And I pray, encourage everyone, build everyone up, no matter what place we're in, no matter what we're struggling with. Lord, help us to fix our eyes on you today. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Amen. Let's read here. Chapter 8, verse 1. And it says, and all the people gathered as one man early morning until midday, in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood Mattathiah, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and, Mas- and Maaseah on his right hand, and Padeah, Mishael, Melchijah, Hashem, Hashbaranah, Zechariah, and Meshalam on his left hand. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Echub, Shabbathai, Hodiah, Maaseah, Kaleitah, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan. Haleah, the Levites, helped the people to understand the law. While the people remained in their places, they read from the book, from the law of God, clearly, and they gave the sense, so that the people understood the reading. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, go your way, eat the fat and drink sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready, for this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing, because they had understood the words that were declared to them. This is God's word. Thanks for sticking with me. A little bit of a lengthier passage there, but so helpful, so good. We see... Here, the introduction of a very significant person, Ezra, is mentioned here. This is the first time Uh, Ezra is a, a priest and a scribe. It's the first time he's being mentioned in the book of Nehemiah. He, in fact, has his own entire book right before the book of Nehemiah. It's called Ezra. It's a very creative title for the book, and you can go ahead and read it. Go ahead and look at that if you want. Ezra had returned before Nehemiah, and his big calling and goal had been to help restore the temple and to re- begin to restore the priestly work of the people. So we've got this guy Ezra showing up and we learn about this significant day. It's the first day of the seventh month. This is their New Year's Day. This is their New Year's Day. This is not just Any holiday, this wouldn't be just like our New Year's Day or July 4th, it's not just a public holiday, this is a religious holiday for them. This is more like Easter or Christmas for them. It's like a combination of New Year's and and Christmas or Easter or something of that nature. And what would have been customary on this significant New Year's Day, so it's January 1st for them, what would have been customary is they would have blown trumpets, and so the people would have heard these trumpets being blown in the morning, and as a result, the people are gathering from the surrounding region. They're gathering into the city. Into they're getting to uh, the Watergate, which is significant because they because it's Watergate. President Nixon could not be invited just to guard off you know any any scandals. They want to don't want any bad press at this time. But it says that they they gathered as one man in this place. So they're blowing trumpets. The people are gathering in. It's the first day of the seventh month. It's their New Year's Day. Actually, Jews today still celebrate some type of ceremony like this. Uh, It's called Rosh Hashanah. Happens in September each year as a result of this custom. But the people are gathered as one man, which means there's great unity amongst them. They're all in it together. They're all there for the same purpose, the same heart, the same mind, kind of like on New Year's Eve when everyone's, you know, counting down. We're all there as one man, as one group, one people, Uh, one body, as it were, kind of like Celebrating the new year, and, you know, even like July Fourth, people get together and shoot off fireworks. You know, we're kind of together as one people, you know, uh, in one sense. So I think that's happening less and less, unfortunately. But we get the idea of what they're doing uh, here. They gather at the Watergate, and it's significant that they gather in this public space and not at the temple, because this is a religious holiday. They're going to be hearing the word of God, and it's really significant that they're gathering in this public, very public, very spacious place, so that all the people can gather in. Because it's so important that all the people participate in hearing the word of the Lord. It mentions a couple of times, both men and women, everybody, everybody's got to hear the word of God. Not just hear it, but understand it. It's not just for the priests and the scribes. It's not just for people who do temple ministry or people who are academic and they just study things and they like understanding all the language and the words and all those things. It's not just for those people. It has to be made clear and made plain for everyone so this is you know it was customary on this day to blow the trumpets gather in they're gonna have this religious holiday everyone's gonna be they're gonna have a feast that's that's the idea of this this the seventh month their New Year's Day that's what's supposed to be happening but there's also a rare mood amongst the people on this particular occasion of this particular holiday the people are hungry to hear God's Word this is rare this is where the people are, are hungry. They're, they're calling on Ezra, go and get the book of the law, the law of Moses. Go and get that thing. And re-. it's the people that are asking for this. This is not coming from, from the top down. This is coming from the bottom up. The people are asking Ezra, go get it and start reading it to us. So it's now, it's now story time with, with Moses. Story time with Moses, a new popular podcast coming out, read by Chris Pratt. Because he now does everything. So he has to be included in this too. And it says that they read from the first five, well, it says that they read from the book of the law, which typically people talk about the law of Moses being the first five books, the Torah, first five books of the Old Testament. So you got, what you got? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy. I missed one. Numbers. I missed numbers. Thank you. Good. I was just, I was just testing you guys. <laughs> also just trying to be 90%, just trying to hit my 90% quota for today. So I have to make 10% mistakes today on purpose which never usually happens. So normally, the book of the law refers to the first five books of the Old Testament, but they only had, they, they gathered early in the morning, and it says they spent the first half of the day until midday doing this. Maximum of six hours, maximum of six hours. There's no way you could read those five books in six hours. This is before... The 1.25 speed the 1.5 speed the 1.75 speed and if you're feeling really impatient the two times speed before all of that so they're, they're stuck with normal boring speed and So they're reading from, so what's happening here, they're probably reading sections. Actually, they may just be reading sections from Deuteronomy. Because in the Bible itself, it does refer to Deuteronomy as being the book of the law of Moses. So it's probably not the first five books. It'd be impossible to be the first five books. It's select pieces probably from Deuteronomy. It's from that or from one of those books. They're reading this stuff. Then in verse 1, it tells us that the people, it says, they they told Ezra, the scribe, to bring the book of the law of, of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So we see two amazing things from this first statement, like coming from the people. The, the hunger from the people to hear the word of God. Two things. Firstly, they don't want something new. They're not interested in, hey, give us the latest ideologies out there. Give us the the latest, we want to listen to the, the, the latest podcast, apart from, you know, story time with Moses is okay, of course. But they're not interested in something, something that's got some kind of modern spin to it or modern interpretation to it. They're saying, we want to go back to the revelation that God gave us during the Exodus. When God was speaking through Moses, when God was leading his people, we want to go back to that truth, back to the founding revelation that God had given us. That's the first amazing thing that the people say. Remember, this is coming from bottom up. This is the the, the sentiment amongst the whole people. The second amazing thing we see is that They acknowledge that it's the law of Moses, but notice the way they phrase it. They're not saying it's from Moses. Yes, it's called the law of Moses, but it's that the Lord had commanded Israel. This is one of the great mysteries of the Bible, that people who aren't Christians struggle to understand this, that of course the Bible was penned by human beings. Like, Of course people are writing down what God is saying and doing and recording it, but it's commanded by God. It comes by the presence of God, by the Holy Spirit. And so these people are declaring unequivocally, confidently, this word that we want, it's divinely inspired. The source is divine. Therefore, it should not be tampered with and changed. We don't want an updated version of it. We want the original thing that God said, that God spoke. That's what we're going after. Now, this is an incredible change of heart for these, this people group. An amazing change of heart for them because over the generations, if you, re, you know, it's always amusing to read the Old Testament, right? You're reading through it, you're hearing different things. You know, the people time and again reject God's words and God's ways. I mean, even, you know, the, the first generation who heard something or God did something, it's like, it's not like it has to be recorded in a book for thousands of years and then people are like, well, that's old, but let's get rid of that. Immediately, as soon as something happens, people are rejecting it, ignoring it, denying it, saying, let's do something else. The other nations have got. They got some great stuff going on. I like what they're doing. Let's do some of that instead. And so this is an amazing change of heart for the people. That, and honestly, it took generations of hardship. It took 70 years in ba- in Babylon, but now there's a dramatic change. Now this is what the people are actually asking for. It was a lot of pain, a lot of hardship to get them to this place, but now they are voluntarily, of their own accord, saying, "We're actually hungry." For the life-giving words that come from God's mouth, that is what we want. That's what we, that's what we need. And this whole journey, this whole thing, it reminds us that, that God does discipline those whom He loves. It was a hard road to get to this point, but to get to this point, but God's discipline has paid off. It's produced something. Seventy years in exile, the people were broken. They almost lost their identity, lots of pain, lots of struggle. They had brought it upon themselves. And now through that intervention, the people's hearts have changed. And they're now saying and doing the very things they should have been saying and doing in the first place. It's a, it's a great encouragement, actually, to anyone in any position of authority. If you're anyone in your care, whether you're, you're a parent or you're some kind of leader or you're doing something, you've got people that you're in charge of that... that that holding people accountable, giving consequences really should give us hope and confidence that even though it's hard, even though it can be a hard road, that it can produce a right response. The heart can actually be brought low to learn those tough lessons and to say, you know, I, I, didn't, I didn't see it. You know, it's like kids, you tell kids when they're younger, like, hey, you know, bed, you know it's important to be, go to bed on time, right? Uh, you know, there's a natural consequence to not going to bed on time. You know, I think a lot of a lot of us as adults still maybe haven't, maybe haven't learned the consequences of not going to bed on time, unfortunately. But but hopefully, hopefully, as you get older, you start realizing like my parents. I, I think my parents were right about the bedtime thing. Like, what the? How did that happen? <laughs> so so this is the problem for the people of Israel. Is is over the generations they always I talk about this a lot, but they always had the, the grass is greener syndrome. So, so struggling with this over and over and over again, looking at the other nations, like, man, they got all this really cool stuff that they believe and that they do, and these other f- religions and these other people, they've got these different traditions and different ways, and like, our oh, God wants us to be like circumcised and like annoying things like that, and like these other people have got these other amazing things that they love. They've got temple prostitutes, for example. They've got, you know, the people, it was always like, that just looks so much better until they lived in Babylon for 70 years, and now they're back here, and now they know firsthand Babylon will never satisfy you. It's a lie. It's a lie. There's a reason that the grass looks greener on the other side. Astroturf. <laughs> right? It's it's the idea it's 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 phony, it's fake, it it's got an allure to it that it's supposed to promise you something, but and this is what the people had to learn. The human race, we seem to have to learn this the hard way. We seem, And God will allow us to drift off into terrible situations sometimes because it seems like it's with our stubbornness of our own hearts. It's the only way we'll learn. It looks better. It promises something. I go into it. It's destructive. It's terrible. Now I'm back here. Now I'm back to the very starting point that I should have been at the whole time. I didn't have to go through the 70 years. I should have stayed in the same place the whole time. And now my heart is softer, more open. Now I'm actually hungry for the word. I'm hungry for the revelation. I actually need it. We should pray, God, soften my heart. Give me a hunger, a deep, true hunger for the life-giving truth of your word, that I might be changed by it, transformed by it, shaped by it. This was always God's plan. You see it throughout throughout Scripture, and it says it specifically, I think, in in Exodus and in Deuteronomy, specific verses that say this was always God's plan, that his whole people, all of God's people, would be taught his word. They would be knowledgeable of his word. They would be wise because of his word, and that they would teach subsequent generations, and didn't they fail this? They They failed to teach the the subsequent generations, the truth of God. And so they kept forgetting it. And then they would come, this is another time of returning to it. They keep forgetting it. But this was always God's plan that 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 every generation, that every person, that's why it's in the public square, that every generation would, would know the words of God and would therefore be wise and understanding and see the astroturf for what it truly is. And so in biblical history, this is a turning point. Nehemiah chapter 8 is actually, it's a significant turning point. It's a it's prefiguring the work and ministry of Jesus in, in, a, in a quite insightful, quite incredible way. They're transitioning from being a temple-focused people to being a word-focused people. From being a, a people of, of a closed sanctuary to being people of an open book. And you see, you know, when you look at uh, a biblical history, kind of the highest point of Israel's history was after, just after king david his son solomon built the temple in jerusalem and it was magnificent i mean it was it was it was, it was the temple was incredible and they had a ceremony and the, to to dedicate it to god and they and it just had all these incredible precious elements and jewels and, and all these different it was it was decorated it was just it was a sight to behold Beautiful, intricate. It was, it, was a, it was a sign to all the nations that we, we don't worship a human king like all the other nations do. We have our own king, and this is his palace. This is his temple. This is where our God, how we worship our God. And how, this is the center of the atonement for God's people. This is how we get reconciled with God. And so that was insignificant for them. And, and God has established it. It's not like the temple was a bad idea. It was God's idea, but it was prefiguring something. It was a symbol, a sign, a work of something greater to come. And now we're seeing... We're seeing the change happening right before our eyes as we read Nehemiah, that now they're going to be a people of the word, a people of the book. And actually, from this point forward, historically, God's people are increasingly known as people of the book, people of the word, as time uh, goes forward here. That we're not just, because you can make any structure and you can dress it up and you can build a house for God and you can you know there's lots of different ways to do that of course and that's not right or wrong or there's usually a neutral thing. There's different you know there can be bad things about it, there can be good things about it. It's 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 pretty neutral. The key is is that the word itself has to be brought out of the sanctuary and has to be in the open square for everybody to hear. For everybody to hear the life-giving truth of God's word. So fast forward then a few generations to the time of Jesus when say for example like the Apostle John is, is, is uh, sharing his faith. You know, people are reading the Gospel of John. And in the beginning of John, what does he say about Jesus? That Jesus is the Word, right? Jesus is the Word. So Jews of, of Jesus' day, first-generation Jews, or first-century Jews, excuse me, they, and the first generation of Christians, I guess, they, um, when, when, when John is teaching that Jesus is the Word, they would have had in their mind Several things from the Old Testament, in particular, Nehemiah chapter 8 that we just read today. They would have had that in mind. That, oh, there's, there's this change that's happening. We were a temple-focused people, and now we're a word-focused people. This was prefigured, and now, now that Jesus is the word, this is the fulfillment of this work of God, revealing things to all people. In the public square, it's got to come out of the, the closed sanctuary, it's got to be available to all the people. And then it says that they 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 read from the book of the law and they, they made it clear. And they use this phrase that they they gave the sense. They gave the sense. So this is referring to the, the Levites. We read some, some fancy names here, and I got those 90% right. And what we're learning, what we're learning here is we're learning that they read it and they gave the sense that this is talking about the Levites and the priests are actually, people aren't just hearing the word, but they're actually having it explained to them. So practically speaking, this is what this would have looked like for this setting, for this ceremony, for this New Year's Day celebration. The people stood up to hear Ezra read it, and he would have read a section. And so they're doing this for like six hours, so they're not standing up for six hours, I doubt that. He finishes reading a section. I'm assuming the people sit down. And then the priests move amongst the people. They, they, they go to different groups. It's like small groups, all right? This is like a church service and small groups mashed up together. And then the, the priests are moving around the people, and they're making sure that each group has actually understood what has just been read. So perhaps people could ask questions. If they didn't understand, could raise their hands. I'm sure they had some kind of system to work that out. But the people, they're making, these priests are making sure, hey, everyone's got it. Okay, let's get back, so then everyone stands up again, we're going to read another section, then we're going to pause, sit down, repeat the process through. Now, some of it may have been, that there may have been some language barriers for them, because the text they're reading from is Hebrew, but the people were more familiar with Aramaic. Similar languages, but some differences. So because of all that, the, the, the priest had to make sure that there's no language barriers, but it's, it's more than just that, it's, they wanted to give the sense. They wanted to give the meaning so that everybody could leave understanding what this means and actually gain wisdom from it, gain insight from it so that it might transform them. Because the, the idea of mindless religion, mindless religion where you just repeat things, you're just chanting or just going through the motions, it's just religious ritual, you're just going through things over and over again without actually understanding it, biblically, in biblical history, that was always considered to be a pagan practice. That's what pagans do. They just mindlessly repeat things, thinking that that will somehow have an effect spiritually and unlock things. Okay, people of the Word know that that's not how it works. We know that's not how it works. The transformation comes in understanding the words that are being taught to us. So at Trinity, this is this is how we engage and relate to God's Word. That we we don't just we're in an increasingly biblically illiterate society. So we, you can't just read sections of it and hope that people get it. It has to be, the sense has to be made of it. it has, you know, that's why we have small groups, right? That's why we break down into smaller groups. Like, how can we take a time to look at a particular part of God's word and really dive into that and understand it for ourselves? So even in our preaching, we'll go through a few different kind of bounce between a few different ways of even preaching God's word, where we do like thematic preaching like they're doing here in Deuteronomy, that we'll be picking certain sections of Scripture for certain times that are relevant for, for key moments. And then other times we'll do kind of more sequential teaching series like we're doing right now with Nehemiah, where we're going through you know, a whole section or a whole book of Scripture, like week by week. We, we kind of flip between those, those different styles for the purpose of exposing people to the most amount of Scripture possible. If you just start at Genesis 1 and just keep going all the way through, uh, most people are going to be a little lost, a little confused. You've got to actually go at key, key points, at key moments, so that people can understand the whole breadth of scripture. That's partly why we do it that way. And we're trying to seek transformation. It's not just enough to educate people and just give people information. It's got to be transformation. So reading it is not enough. The spiritual leaders have to make it make sense, have to have to have to teach the people to the degree and this is the purpose of all this is so that each person can in turn tell their neighbors this is what the truth is so they can they can tell their friends and their family so they can teach their own children this is what the truth is that's that's the goal of all this and this, this is one of the, the ways that god god's people have failed throughout the generations is that we, we don't do this we we would rather be people who just follow rituals or follow the motions or just, you know, repeat things and actually not, and partly because it's, it's harder to engage with it, isn't it? You have to actually turn your brain on and think about it. And it's like, that's hard work, you know? Yeah, I'd rather not have to think about it, actually, sometimes. It's like, it hurts my brain. And so at Trinity, we, we have several different ways we do this. I've already talked about some. One thing we do is, we we talked about this before, we have a Bible reading plan. We've Talked about using like a life journal before, where people can really dive deeper into God's word for themselves. We're trying to equip people to understand the word of the Lord, to understand it for themselves. And one place that we post a lot of that stuff is on our online community. And I want to encourage you, if you're not a part of our online community, we have a, a on Slack, we have an account for our online community. You can go to this link. We're going to put this uh, this slide up right here. This is where you can uh, join our online community, try.church/slack, and you can create an account there, and we have different channels. We have a devotional channel where we post a Bible reading plan, post different verses. There's all kind of there's a random channel in there, which is always fun. We should create a 90 percent channel based on today's sermon. And uh, you can laugh at that one again. Okay, the 90 percent think got old, all right, I'll stop doing it. All right, OK, I get it. I get it. Listen to the Say what? The horse is dead. Killed that horse. Someone else, someone, I, what's going to happen is someone else is going to make a 90% joke, and then it'll be funny again because it's not me saying it. That's, that's what that's will happen. Okay. So dive into our online community, try.church slash slack, and, and get caught up in some of the communications, some of the devotional stuff we're putting out to help us f- be fed on God's word. Now, what we notice here is the people are hearing the word, and what are they doing? They're responding very demonstratively to the word. So... Um, they're standing up at different points, they're raising their hands, they're bowing their heads, uh, even you know, t- down to the ground or looking down to the ground, they are, um, what else are they doing? There's something else they're doing. They're responding in all these, all these different ways. They, they're saying amen together at different points, so vocally responding. They're responding in all these different ways. These worshipful responses are not uncommon in the Bible. Um, we see time and again, especially in the Psalms, we see different expressions of worship coming through. So in the Psalms, you know, David talks about raising hands to God. Many other things as well. Singing, um, you, you know, all kind of instruments are mentioned in the Psalms. All kind of different instruments. So America we want to get some, you know, harps and lyres and different instruments to be truly biblical here. And uh, But all kind of music and melody to the Lord that they're making. You know, uh, dancing, all kind of different expressions towards God. The Psalms are kind of, can be considered like the, 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 the woodstock of worship, if you will. Uh, Very expressive, very exuberant worship. And the reason that people are responding to this way, to the, the, the word of God like this here in Nehemiah is because they are genuinely moved by it. Now you can fake, you know, you have people who fake their expressive worship to God. You have all, of course you have all of that. That can happen. But here's what you can't fake. Here's what can't happen is once you understand how powerful, how good the words from God are, how, how vital they are, how, how amazing they are. Once you understand it, you can't hide it. You cannot hide it. It, it, it has to come out in some regard, in some way to, to, to truly express that, that gratitude, that joy in God. And so at Trinity, we want to be a church that is unapologetic about expressive worship where we're we, we, where the kind of people where we stand up, we understand why we're standing up to honor God's word, where we're the kind of people we will raise our hands, we will sing songs, we will dance at, at times, we will bow down at different times, we'll do these different things that we, because surely we've got to understand this, that it's, it would be illogical, irrational, and nonsensical to be more excited about anything other than God. I know that it's pretty easy to get excited about our favorite sports team, or our favorite band comes to town, or that movie comes out we've been waiting for. And I get excited about all those things as well, apart from the sports one. I don't get too excited about that. But, but uh, my son, Jones, helps me with that. Uh, but it seems like we, we get very exuberant about those things, and very demonstrative and responsive in those things. And when it comes to God, we can be a bit stiff, a little bit reserved. Maybe we're insecure. What will people think of me? Or... What you know, and honestly, as God's people, we've got to let all that go. We've got to declare to the world our greatest joy is in God. There's nothing greater than having joy in God. So, you know, there's practical application to this. So that as we worship, yes, we can raise our hands, yes, we can bow. Yes, we can as we stand, we understand why we're doing it. But the idea is that we're seeking joy. We're seeking joy. God's word should not make us miserable and sad and depressed like it may bring conviction which doesn't always feel good but that's obviously for a time right you can feel condemned by something because if you're doing something wrong you should feel condemned right that's the way it should work all right i'm doing something wrong should feel bad about it god's word makes me feel bad about it good news is i also feel better later on because it sets me free from it right this is the power of god's word working in us the joy of god's word setting us free the people were weeping do you notice that as we read this, the people were weeping, and the priests are like, no, 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 no. <laughs> Sorry, this is New Year's Day. This is, this is uh, an important festival we're supposed to be doing. You're not supposed to be weeping right now. We read, let's read. It, so the response in verse 12, we'll read verse 12 again. And it says, and all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions, and to, to, again, fat, so again, fats is great for anyone who's on keto, and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words, that were declared to them so notice the words all this joy all this exuberant response all of this demonstrative response because they had understood the words that had been spoken to them because they understood it without god's word being explained to us here's what happens in life we're crushed we're overwhelmed by our circumstances we don't understand life we don't understand why things happen the way they do we don't understand I think that's what's happening to the people i don't think it's necessarily i mean we don't it doesn't tell us what what was going on internally for them we just know that as the law of moses is being read they're all weeping and the priests are like no no no, you're getting it wrong that's not that's not the response today of any day of the year that's not the response today this is supposed to be a joyful thing i think the people were so focused on their troubles that as they heard the word of the lord being read they realized man we failed for generations, and then we were stuck in Babylon for 70 years. We failed time and again. They were so focused on their circumstances, so focused on their past failure and what had gone wrong, that they weren't paying attention to God's word. If you follow God's word, here's the blessing that comes. Here's the provision that comes. Here's the grace that comes to you through that. That's what They, they had missed it. They weren't focused on that, and so they had to be encouraged. By the leaders, by the spiritual leaders of their day, they had to be built up and encouraged to say, no, 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 stop stop weep. This is not the day to weep. It doesn't sound very emotionally mature and you know, healthy, does it, to tell people to not cry. I mean, we're, we're living in a day and age, which is good that we're, we're more in tune with our emotions, but part of this now sounds wrong to us, but they were dead right to do this. That, that there are some times where it's like actually our sorrow and our mourning is, is invested in the wrong thing, And we need someone, delicately and carefully, but to lead us gently out and say, no, 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 no. If you live in the past and your past mistakes, yes, of course, that's the identity you're going to live into and you're going to feel miserable about it. But if you live into the truth of God's word and actually you can activate this word today in your life. You know, putting right all the mistakes of the past, now living into this, you can experience joy today. So basically two festivals happening today. This is the first feast, the feasting on the word, the feasting on the word to give them joy. And then the second feast is going to be, now go and enjoy all that juicy fat that you, you want to eat today. Go and go and feast. Go, go from this place. Don't be weeping anymore. Go. And if someone doesn't have enough food, you give them food. You make sure every household has a boatload of food to eat, get some wine. I mean... Christians who say that, I mean, I don't drink anymore personally, and it's great, you know, that's fine. You can drink in moderation. You cannot drink either way. But people who say that it, it's, it's unbiblical, that the alcohol is, is is sinful, inherently sinful, there's a verse here in the Bible, they're telling the people to go and drink wine actively. Now, if you're someone who's taken a, you know, an abstinence thing, like stick with that. That's great. That's amazing. Jesus didn't, you know, um, or, no, John the Baptist, excuse me, I'm getting my, my biblical characters messed up here. Jesus drank in moderation, of course, of course he did. 90%. Now I'm down to 50%. percent i am done worse, i am flipped. I'm 10%. It was John the Baptist who was, who was absent. So lots of options there, different ways to do it. But th- the idea is this, have some wine, have a good time. Like celebrate. Like this is a festival today. This is a, this is a great day to celebrate. God, the people learned something today. They discovered something. The God's word is one of the greatest sources of joy because, because it's a feast in and of itself and it propels you into celebration. It propels you into a, to, 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 to grasp onto a life that's actually full of joy and, and, and expressive things that, that make your heart glad in God. It, that's what it leads you into. It doesn't lead you into misery and depression. It leads you into, let's get together and have a party. Let's get, to he- get together and celebrate God. Let's get together and think about all the good things that God has done. That's what God w- God's word leads us into. What a lesson that they learned today. It's, it's, God's word is freedom to us, joy to us in so many profound, amazing ways. Now, listen, to be people of the word, we're not just, you know, we're not just like a book on a shelf. We're not just academic. We're not just studying things. We're, we're, we're people of a personal book. This book is about, about a person. It's about the word that became flesh. It's ultimately about that, that personal relationship with God. So, so don't hear, it. it's like, oh, you just got to be people who are just always reading or just academic. No, this, this is a life-giving thing. It's it's a living word, right? It's a living word, it's sharper than, than, than a two-edged sword. That's how it's described uh, in the Bible. And we see an amazing, as we look at God's word, we see an amazing parallel here between the what Ezra is doing and in the ministry of Jesus. So Ezra, they build this wooden platform, this wooden stage for him, and he goes up high, and he says he's, he's raised up high, essentially above the people to declare God's word. There's an amazing picture for us here in the Bible, and when you fast forward to the life and ministry of Jesus, you see Jesus was exalted and hung up high on a wooden frame, on a cross, not to declare the word, but to be the word to be the message to us we can just sometimes talk about jesus as being an example to us hey we should be like jesus that's true he's an example to us that's true but what we can miss is that he came to be the message to pay the price to lay down his life ezra's a priest who connected people to god who helped reconcile people to god by making sacrifices jesus in the book of Hebrews is called the great high priest. The final priest of the Old Testament system of priests. To once and for all pay that price. The very price to be the sacrifice for us. To be the priest for us. To step into our sin and our shame on the cross. To die in our place. To be on the world stage as it were. The cross is, is the greatest symbol in all cultures now. Around the world in Christian history. It's, it's the greatest symbol. The cross of Christ and what it means for us, the freedom that we get, the, that Jesus became the message himself to us. This is the great, the great message of the Bible, the great work of Jesus. And understanding this, when you actually understand it, it's not based on my work. I could never do enough good works to earn my right standing with God, to be made right with God. That it is only and purely a free gift, the work of Jesus on the cross. If you just have monotonin, I can't talk properly today. If you just have repetitious religious practices and ceremonies and you don't understand what Jesus has done and why it's so important, you won't have the joy. The exuberant worship won't make sense. I'm not against against formal, more formal styles of worship. Of course, we can have that. But we want to be people who we sing as loud as we can. We clap as loud as we can. We make as much noise as we can. Because... Is Jesus. Anything else is pointless. Let's put this into action. Let's respond today to this work of grace, this amazing work that Jesus has done on our behalf. Consider how you can respond today. If there are things about God's Word that you don't understand, seek understanding. Ask a question. Raise your hand. Say, what's the I don't get it. I need, I need help to understand this. This confuses me. Get it? Because if you can get it, the result is joy. Because that's what God's word does in us. It gives us laughter. It gives us hope. It gives us freedom. It sets us free from all the dark, gross things of the world where we understand I don't want the astroturf. I want the real thing, the real thing of God.